0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate that. And we have a lot to talk about today. Busy, busy program. We're going to cover a lot of ground. The markets are hot. China's buying more. And we'll talk about that with the lead analyst for DTN, Todd Holtman. We're also going to take a look at uh, the, the pork market. Yesterday, we talked about the beef market. Today, we'll focus in on the pork side. Steve Meyer, economist with Partners for Production Agriculture, will join us and give us an overview there and his analysis and outlook. And we have a lot going on again with biofuels. Ron Lamberty, senior vice president with the American Coalition for Ethanol, will join us. We'll talk about the, uh, the push to get E15 more available Uh, to uh, motorists, and we'll also talk about a new study out showing the the environmental benefits of um, using ethanol, reducing carbon emissions. So that'll be coming up a little bit later on in the program. And we're also going to be talking here in just a moment about uh, growing dairy demand. Good news there. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, I want to pass along this story. Uh, Some friends of mine uh, here in Jacksonville, Illinois, where I'm at, linda and terry cockrell passed on an interesting story sent me a picture last night of some relatives of theirs at farm in rushville illinois not too far from where i'm at and folks in rushville listen to us on wkxq ryan madeline and joseph ward on their farm baby calves that's not unusual but the fact that the calves were triplets and that ryan madeline and joseph are triplets pretty neat picture of the three of them holding the three newborn calves that's a that's pretty neat picture triplets with triplet calves so uh, congratulations Ryan Madeline and Joseph Ward in Rushville Illinois that's uh, something you just don't see every day that's for sure all right uh, joining me now Peter Vitaliano, Chief Economist for the National Milk Producers Federation Peter good to talk with you Um, you're not one of triplets are you you're not you're not a triplet are you
2: Nope, I'm an only one. Well, not an only child, but only one at at that time.
0: I I was going to say, I'm not sure we were, uh, if we could handle three of you, you know?
2: I'm not sure I could handle three
0: of me either. Hey, let's talk about dairy demand, Peter. I mean, when we look at 2020 and all the challenges and the headwinds, uh, there were some positives, and we've seen an increase in dairy demand, haven't we?
2: Yes, we've uh, we we had the most information on the uh, the retail sector of purchases for mostly at home use in supermarkets, and you saw the recent dairy decline from this week. That uh, yes had had a lot of good numbers. Uh, people were uh, staying more at home and eating more at home, and so that was naturally up. Uh, the rate had been sort of uh, decreasing a little bit over time. But you've got to keep in mind that the retail uh, supermarket um, channel is only one way that dairy products reach consumers. Uh, We've got food service, uh, which has been down, obviously, uh, during the pandemic years. And uh, institutional, things like schools, uh, also affected. Uh, And last year, we had a a major new outlet, uh, government purchases through the food box and other food assistance Programs to make up for a lot of that lost uh, food service demand was was a major influence last year, and then exports. And to kind of sum it up, uh, retail was up, uh, exports were up very much, Uh, and the others tended to be tended to be uh, as as well as the uh, you know government purchases. But uh, food service and institutional was down. The way to to wrap that all up in a couple of simple numbers using USDA's what what are called commercial disappearance numbers that take all that into consideration on a total milk equivalent basis, give you a couple of numbers, year to date through last November, domestic consumption in all channels was down about 1%. Um, uh, Consumption in All areas, including exports and domestic, was up by a little over 1%. But milk production was up 1.7% at that same time. A more recent snapshot, September through November, production up 2.5%, domestic consumption up 1.5%, exports up 6.5%, and total consumption, domestic and exports, up to uh, 2.2%. We are... um, so consumption is, is doing well, but production is doing better, unfortunately, and that's keeping some downward pressure on prices at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's that's an ongoing challenge, that's for sure. What about fluid milk sales? They have been a, you know, a struggle in recent years. Are we seeing any improvement in that area?
2: They were up uh, toward the beginning of this period of the period. Um, you know, the the last spring, the early months of the shutdown. Uh, on a year-to-date basis let me grab that um, yeah they were they were up by um, uh, year to date um, up by almost one percent uh, actually during july they reached up one and a half one percent for the year to date uh, and that was following many years of being down significantly but that's been uh, dropping again the most recent three months September to November they were down uh 2.4% so they they're tending to revert a little bit back to their their longer term pattern in recent years
0: okay so we need to drink more milk what about the cheese
2: uh total cheese um again on a year year to date basis um it was a little. It was a little bit soft. It was down, basically down uh, half a percent for um, year to date through November. But it was quite different. Um, American-type cheese uh, was up uh, domestically, uh, and basically we don't export that much American-type cheese. So this is kind of the, you know, the the, the ball game. Uh, Domestic consumption year-to-date through November last year was up uh, seven-tenths of a percent, Uh, but uh, other type cheese, um, a lot of it mozzarella and food service, uh, was down 1.4 percent. So that's what netted out to that uh, down overall in all cheese varieties down a half percent. So cheese really needs to have a recovery in food service to get back to where it needs to be.
0: All right, so um, the, the picture kind of mixed, but uh, overall, considering the the challenges of 2020, I guess not too bad, but uh, hopefully it'll be a better 2021.
2: We'll, we'll hope so.
0: And, hey, let's all drink some more milk, have some cheese. Sounds good to me. I try to do my part every day. Peter, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for the numbers.
2: Sure, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: That's Chief Economist for the National Milk Producers Federation, Peter Battagliano. Getting schools back open—that'll that should help. Uh milk consumption as well. And hopefully we'll see uh, more and more of them get open here in 2021. All right. Coming up next, we switch to ethanol, uh, the push to get E15 more available to motorists across the country, and a new study out, again, showing the climate benefits, the environmental benefits of using ethanol, lowering those uh, carbon emissions. We'll get the latest on that from Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table brought to you by CHS as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day, so join us for a round the table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently, on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Sinsky joins us. He is the CEO of the American Soybean Association. Most of us, I'm sure, have no idea of how many different things USDA is responsible for the complexity of the agency and of these positions such as Deputy Secretary. Kind of give us an idea of how broad a scope that is.
3: It really is. USDA touches almost everything that every American does. Whether it is the nutrition that is provided and the dietary guidelines that are developed, the food assistance Mm -hmm. that's provided there, meat and poultry inspection, commodity grading, fruits, vegetables, as well as meat product and their marketing. And then, of course, farm safety net programs, our lending programs and the support for farmers. But then it continues on from there for rural communities, sewer and water loans, also going on,
0: of course, to our conservation programs, and then the U.S. Forest Service. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
5: A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice us.org.
0: You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers
1: and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: The push to get E15 more available to motorists across the country continues. Here to bring us up to date on that is Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, good to talk with you again. Um, What's the message here you're trying to get out to uh, retailers about offering E15 to motorists?
6: After a couple of rounds of uh, funding from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, for infrastructure is that some of those people, most of those stations that did not receive any money from these HPIP grant programs uh, should know that they can use probably use their existing equipment to sell E15 if they'd like to, and that's very different from the message that they've been fed from the oil industry and even from regulators over the last several years, um, and the, the most recent thing that happened is just at the end of the um Last administration, they issued a proposed rule to change the labeling requirements and tank comp- compatibility requirements for offering E15. So there's there's good stuff in there, and there's some stuff that probably doesn't need to be in there, but it's a 90-day comment period, and we want to make sure the retailers take a look at those things and tell us what needs to be in there that isn't and what's in there that doesn't need to be. <laughs>
0: So this could be a game changer, right? If you don't have to put in all new equipment, I mean, if you can use existing equipment, that that should open up the uh, uh, the opportunities, I would think, for more e fifteen motorists
6: right. I mean, it's almost it's strange almost to call it a game changer because the the rules have always been the same. It's just that they weren't aware of it and and uh, EPA wasn't. Uh, wasn't making it known very well. And in fact, when they were asked, they usually said something different than what was on the books. But yeah, I mean, the reason E15 was chosen in the first place was that uh, pumps and tanks, well, tanks are compatible in most cases. If you have a tank that's compatible with gasoline and ethanol mixtures, that means any blend of gas and ethanol up to 100% of either. Same goes for the underground pipes. So the underground stuff, which is what people worry about most, because that's where it can cause damage that nobody knows, that stuff's been compatible for you know, go, close to twenty years um and in some cases, even more, if you've got double wall tanks and steel tanks, those have always been compatible. But the other piece of that is is that you know these there's their nozzles, their hoses, their pumps those have been compatible with fifteen percent. that's why fifteen percent e fifteen was chosen when uh, the industry went to get approval for E15, because we saw from uh, from underwriters laboratories, from all the different things that we looked at, that those things were approved and guaranteed by their manufacturers for up to 15% ethanol, actually 15% alcohol, so there could be harsher alcohols. But the reason we chose E15 was because the existing equipment was almost all compatible And now to have EPA basically make that statement by saying, you know, this stuff is mostly compatible. They even referenced uh, one of our tools that people can go to to find out if they're compatible. So that can be a game changer. It's not so much the game has changed, but now the people will know the rules better and know that what we've been saying wasn't just self-serving, that it was true.
0: We're talking with Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol. So, Ron, how much growth are we seeing in uh, E15 availability and sales across the country?
6: Well, I'd say the first one, availability, still not nearly enough. Um, you know, we've got, uh, you know, of uh, about 150,000 stations in the country um, with the latest stuff that's been approved from the USDA grants, I think we'll be up to 2,500, maybe 3,000 Um, So it's still a a too small number. However, I mean, we're 90% of the stations could sell it. Um, So you could see a big change. If if you remember, you go back to when E10 wasn't anywhere except the Midwest, it was only a few years later that because ethanol prices got very low and gas prices got very high that people changed to it because they knew they could. Well, now that um, EPA put out this guidance that Hopefully we'll take away scary labels. That was one of the other pieces of it, was that the labels we've got on there that we think sometimes scare people away. Um, but the part about making sure that people know they're compatible, that people you know, who own stations and operate stations will recognize it as a um, an option. And when they see these big companies that have already switched to it and answered the second part of your question, are doing quite well, um, typically um, selling you know, 15 to 20% of their overall volume in E15, and in some cases up to, you know, it's the top-selling product. But when other retailers see that and then realize that it doesn't cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to switch, that it might cost, you know, a couple thousand might cost a couple hundred, um, then they'll consider that, and we think a lot of them will pick up that that offer and, and uh, start offering E15. And when consumers see it, it's a higher octane fuel for less money. There's really no reason not to buy it.
0: Meanwhile, Ron, we, we have another study out now, again showing the environmental benefits of using ethanol, uh, reducing carbon emissions. Tell us about that.
6: Well, there's a uh, just a recent study that came out um, from uh, professors from, I think, Harvard Harvard and Tufts University that um, basically confirmed a lot of the stuff that um, uh, our past president, um, Ron Alverson, and Brian Jennings and, and Ace and a bunch of other um, people interested in low-carbon fuels have been saying now for some time, and that is that the uh, carbon intensity of ethanol is is, is um, much lower than what we're being given credit for in regulations, such as the CARB regulations and, and U.S. regulations. Um, fuels in their, in their world have a carbon intensity score, uh, basically with petroleum-based fuels around 100, and then you're judged by how much lower you are than that. And the USDA has ethanol at about 75% of the of the carbon intensity of petroleum fuels. Um, CARB says it's about 71. And we've always contended it's been around 50. And this new study, I think, puts it at either 51 or 52. I can't remember which one it is, but um, I think it's 51. So, And that's a general thing. I mean, basically, when, when CARB and USDA did theirs, they included you know, some of the old wet mills that have been around for several decades that you still have coal-fired plants. Um, and we've got individual plants that are much lower than 50 and have gotten certified as such in California. So, I mean, this is sort of a, uh, you know, a good confirmation from, from very respected scientists that the work that um, that we've been doing, and mostly led by Ron Alverson, um, has has been correct and um, and it was confirmed in that study and it's it's uh, hopefully it's good news that the regulators will take into account and then ethanol will be on a little better footing with some of the other um, options that are out there that um, people are very very excited about and they should be just as excited about ethanol
0: and especially at this time when this new administration is is basically saying to agriculture uh, show us how um, you are, taking care of these environmental issues. Show us how you are producing carbon reductions and show us how you are addressing this issue, which is very much, uh, obviously, a a point of emphasis for this new administration and this new Congress. This is an important story for the biofuels industry to be telling.
6: Right. And I think, you know, the reason Ron was involved in it is because Ron Alverson was involved in it because many years back, he'd monitor his soil carbon and noticed it was going up when he was, you know, doing corn on corn on corn. And what he finally figured out was something that's one of those at some one of these seminars that I took a long time ago, where a guy referred to blinding flashes of the obvious. And when when Ron explained to me, he said, you know, there's a corn plant underground too, and when the corn is done growing, that corn turns into carbon. So it truly is, a corn plant takes carbon out of the air and puts it in the soil. And so in, in the case of the new administration, and in case of these studies, and some of the things we're working on, it's not necessarily that farmers have to adopt any new practices it's that we have to show them that the practices they're already using are a lot more environmental environmentally friendly than they're giving us credit for because the corn farming goes into um goes into the score for the ethanol and it's you know it's a fairly large number and something like something like this study can make a big difference in the final number of of the uh corn plus you know we're Trying to do it in such a way where farmers are rewarded for um, for having more environmentally friendly practices. I mean, we're not talking about you know letting the letting the federal government come in and store everything. It's just a matter of if you disclose what you're already doing. Most farmers are much cleaner than anybody thinks they are. I mean, I think there's generally this picture that farmers just you know I, I've always said you know they think that they go out there with a the fire hose and just put fertilizer on everything and don't really care where anything is. They don't have any idea that, you know, these guys care about their soil. It's their office. It's their main plant. They take care of that stuff. So a lot of it is just documenting that for people that then document the score of our fuel. And I think what they'll find, what we know what they'll find, is that it's cleaner fuel than they thought it was.
0: Yep. Got to get that message across. Hopefully they uh, they will listen. All right, Ron, thank you very much. Always good to talk with you. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org.
1: Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal
6: grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough.
0: Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency.
4: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rawl. After the largest U.S. corn export purchase by China since August, corn futures are trading defensive after we saw a 50-cent-per-bushel rally from a low set on Monday. USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service announced a massive sale to China of 53.5 million bushels on Tuesday with rumors of additional sales. On the board of trade March, corn is trading a penny and three-quarters lower at 5.30 and a half cent. The May contract Down two and three quarters at 531 and a half cent. March soybeans trading four and three quarters lower at 1365 and a half cent. The May contract down four and three quarters at 1364 and three quarters. All three wheat markets are along for a bullish recovery, but to a lesser extent, Russia has confirmed it will indeed impose a 50 euro tax on wheat exports effective March 1st. Looking at the wheat contracts, Chicago wheat March down seven and a half cent at 657 and three quarters. Kansas city wheat march down six and a half cent at 634 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat march down five and three quarters at 632 and a quarter. The May contract down five and a half cent at 641. Active gains in box beef values continue to be a driving force in live cattle trade as strong demand has created a counter seasonal rally, sparking widespread buying across live cattle trade. April live cattle trading 57 cents lower at 122.52. The June contract down 42 at 119.04. Five. Looking at feeder cattle contracts, the March contract down ninety at one forty fifty seven. The April contract down ninety at one forty seven thirty seven. For lean hogs, April down thirty five at sixty seven sixty. The May contract down sixty five at eighty eighty seven. In the outside markets, the Dow is down four hundred and ninety seven points. The Nasdaq Composite down two hundred and sixty six. The S and P five hundred down seventy. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rahl. You may not
7: realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life, but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today.
0: Well, lots of moving parts to these markets these days, lots going on. Let's talk it over with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN, who is in Sioux Falls for the Sioux Falls Farm Show. Todd, thanks for joining us. How are things in Sioux Falls? Well, thank you, Mike. Actually, they're very good. They missed out on a lot of
3: the snow that uh, you're hearing about uh, farther south of us. So it's actually a good day to to come out and visit the show.
0: All right. So uh, the question had kind of become was China done buying uh, for a while from the U.S.? Turns out they weren't. Uh, they, they jumped back in again.
3: No, I think it's very interesting. Uh, these past two days of uh, purchases from China, 53.5 million bushels of corn on Tuesday, another almost 27 million bushels here on Wednesday morning. And this is after about three and a half months of playing possum and being very quiet in the corn market. I just uh, think it's very interesting that, obviously, they're not going to make it easy for us to outguess uh, what they're going to do, and uh, that remains uh, very tough even moving forward. But the one clue that we continue to have, uh, which makes me suspect that there's probably more purchases ahead, is that we can see the corn price on the Dalian Exchange uh,
0: still quite high. They also bought, we've been waiting for this for some time, they also finally bought some ethanol.
3: Yes, uh, we had comments yesterday from the CEO of uh, Archer Daniels, and uh, he mentioned 200 million gallons of ethanol purchases in the first six months of this year. Uh, that was news to a lot of us uh, as the, those export sales on ethanol kind of come through private channels. Uh, but obviously, that's very encourage- encouraging, That's almost like a, a 71 million bushel corn export sale is the equivalent of that. So obviously, they continue to be very active and uh, it's not just uh, corn, and obviously, we've known about beans, they're also becoming more active in wheat. So, in general, we see, we continue to see a picture of a country that is uh, desperately in need of more feed grain and oil seeds.
0: So, you think it's really is based on need. There have been some some speculation that they're just trying to, it's a goodwill gesture to try to get off on the right foot with the new Biden administration. But you think it's really a need that they have and is why they're making these purchases?
3: Yeah, I I, I think their motives uh, tend to be very practical and according to their needs. I uh, I, I don't uh, suspect, I guess, the, the political slant of things uh, as much, and uh, it, it, frankly, at these higher prices, if China didn't need it, I don't think they'd be buying it. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. We're talking with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Meanwhile, we're watching closely uh, uh, South America. It looks like their weather has improved. What about their crop prospects? What are you thinking there?
3: Well, overall, the Brazil's soybean crop looks very good, and, and it seems to be a wide consensus that we're going to have a record crop somewhere around 131 to 133 million metric ton, uh, which is a new record by far. The hang-up right now is that there's heavy rains in the forecast for southern Brazil the next few days, and those heavy rains are uh, apt to delay harvest activity even further. If, if you recall, that soybean crop got a little later started on the planting this year because mm-hmm. things were dry early, so uh, their, their late date is uh, being pushed a little farther ahead even.
0: So that's interesting. Uh, Usually we think rain in South America might be bad for us and for the markets, but it's delaying harvest, which was already delayed. So that extends our window a little longer, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it gives us just a few more days of uh, being open for business as far as making more soybean uh, sales available here. And uh, you're you're right, rain is typically uh, generally works against us. And in the case of Argentina, I should mention, they've got much better rains the past week or so and uh, so their, their crop conditions have at least stabilized where they were looking drier earlier.
0: So it's kind of interesting, we've kind of been wondering what would stop our rally, and one part of that would be China stopped buying, well they're still buying, and another would be big crop coming in from South America, that's delayed, so are we saying the rally can continue a while longer? You think that it will continue a while longer?
3: Well, yeah, I continue to say this continues to be a very bullish, dynamic-type market. Uh, even the sell-off that we had late last week, I think it shook a lot of non-commercials out of the market, but it certainly didn't do anything to help uh, ration price demand any further. So uh, we, we are seeing, I, I expect, slower crush activity in the month of January. We have seen crush incentives uh, fall in relation to the higher soybean price. But as you say, on the term of the export sales front, we just don't see any end uh, to the sales interest yet for soybeans. And and for that reason, we continue to have extremely tight supplies. And even with Brazil's big harvest on the way, that should ease our demand pressures uh, temporarily. But uh, it really doesn't get us out of the bind that we're going to be in of having very tight supplies
6: all through summer
0: yeah, that's interesting because at some point you figure high prices slow slow sales down, but we haven't hit that point yet, evidently. i I, I just I don't think so. Not, I, I just don't see
3: signs of it yet. And uh, technically, we can look at the charts and corn and soybeans have been uh, in their strong, very strong uptrend since August. It's been well described by the thirty day average, and they continue to trade above that thirty day average. So, they haven't even violated an uptrend yet uh, to any significant degree, so it, it's just hard to see any sign of a top at the moment.
0: Wow, that is interesting, and as you've as you've told us before, and we've been looking at these scenarios, it's not just soybeans. Uh, strong picture for corn and wheat, which is always kind of uh, you know uh, up and down. Uh, what are you seeing right now for wheat? What's the picture?
3: You know, uh, it, wheat actually is. Uh, the most bullish. I've seen it in a long time. And of course, uh, it's getting Mm -hmm. big influence from the rally in corn and soybeans. And and of course, $5 corn helps you have $6 wheat. So that part's understandable. But we're also seeing uh, the lowest uh, supply picture for U.S. wheat supplies in six years. And uh, we learned two things this year that uh, it doesn't look like Russia has the ending stocks that are advertised in the WASDE report. And it doesn't look like China has the ending stocks that are advertised in the WASDE report. So actually, those uh, record large world uh, wheat ending stocks estimates that we've been seeing from USDA the past couple of years have probably been uh, overstated. And uh, that may translate to some more export business for us uh, in the next six months or so.
0: Just amazing how things have turned around. I, I would imagine you're <laughs> having some pretty interesting conversations with farmers right now.
3: Well, uh, you know it it's a mix on On one hand, uh, nobody's complaining about the higher prices. Uh, a lot of us are uh, maybe ruined that we sold earlier in in the fall, uh, mm-hmm. not knowing the the extent of what was happening here. But uh, a lot of this, you know, we're kind of trading in a in a big black hole when it comes to understanding what's happening within the country of China. None of us, private or public uh, sources, have really a very good handle on uh, what's happening in that country so that's really been the source of the big surprise here
0: yeah i i understand sellers remorse a lot of farmers wishing they'd held on but you have to look at uh you know what price do you get and and right now uh and even probably at the prices they sold at was what they would have been very happy with right and uh just who nobody could see this coming and now when we look ahead uh what the focus will still, we'll still be watching what China does, what's happening in South America, but soon the focus will be on uh, our crop year, won't it? Yes, that's right. And, and I want to
3: say I think there is encouragement for the new crop season ahead. Now, granted, we've got all kinds of incentive to increase corn and bean acres uh, this spring if we get cooperative uh, weather on our side. But this demand bull market that we're in, Mike, I don't think has an easy fix to it. And I would not be surprised if we don't see a second year of uh, very higher than normal corn and soybean prices as a result of it. I thought it was interesting that the CEO of ADM also said yesterday that he expects it to be a year and a half to two years before this market balances out. So it, it's not like a weather problem. That's just going to spike higher one year and then be back down to depressed levels the next, uh, trying to fulfill, uh, China's insatiable appetite, I think, is uh, going to take longer than many of us are are uh, expecting at this point.
0: So this rally could have some legs to it, and even yeah. when it drops back, everyone starts worrying about, "Wow, we've you know, is this it? We're falling back?" Even when the, when you get to these levels, even when the price comes down, as it has a time or two here recently, especially after what happened on Friday, uh, you're you still got to step back and look. Look at where we're at even on a on a down day, how high the market is compared to where it was not that long ago.
6: Yes,
3: absolutely. And I, I would just kind of encourage people to get a little understanding that we just do not have the surplus of corn and beans that we've had the past seven years. And so rebuilding and getting up to a larger surplus again where we would be talking again about three fifty corn or or nine dollar soybeans. Uh, I just don't think that's going to happen overnight. It's it's going to take some time. And, and for that reason, uh, there ought to be support in these prices. Granted, it's going to be a volatile journey. And especially with speculators as involved in the market as they are, we are going to have more choppy weeks like we saw last
0: week. Yeah, but I, I think... The key there is that lower stocks levels. You said, I mean, that's that's been the game changer in these markets, and it'll take a while for that to change again, for sure. All right, Todd, enjoy things there at Sioux Falls, and uh, good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Have a good day. Take care, Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Well, it's a, a on the other side of this picture, of course, is if you are buying and like feed costs for livestock producers. That's a now that's the uh, downside of this if you are on that part of it, and we're going to talk about how that's affecting the the picture for pork producers moving forward. Steve Meyer, economist with Partners for Production Agriculture will join us next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Do you know how to keep food
4: safe at home?
5: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
4: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
3: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
4: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
3: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
8: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, joining us now is Floyd Vergara. He is Director of State Governmental Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. We've had a lot of discussion this week about where biodiesel fits into the push for climate policy and the changes that may be taking place with the new administration and the new Congress going in that direction. Carbon reduction is certainly a big area of emphasis.
2: The state carbon reduction policy are just growing by leaps and bounds starting in 2000. Nine, you had a basically one state with a comprehensive economy-wide uh, carbon reduction target, and that was California. Five years afterwards, you had the Northeast, and then now you have about half of the country in terms of the state with comprehensive economy-wide carbon reduction goals. Those goals tend to be along the lines of 40 percent reduction by
0: 2030 and 80 percent reduction by 2050. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
1: Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers. The movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
0: We're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: All right, we are trying to reach Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Progressive for production agriculture but uh, he is tied up on a conference call right now so we'll keep trying see if we can get Steve either today or perhaps tomorrow if we can't reach him uh, today want to go back uh, again to again this new study that is out and again showing and I emphasize again showing uh, the environmental benefits of using ethanol reducing carbon emissions uh, people keep questioning this, and reports and studies and analysis keep coming out showing the benefits of uh, using ethanol. And people still critics continue to try to downplay it, ignore those re- uh, studies, or or you know try to discredit them. But they're out there. They keep coming out more and more studies being done all the time showing this. And I think this is especially important because we're in a we're in this window right now with a new administration and a new Congress that's obviously gonna push hard on climate issues and climate policies. It is what I call now a show and tell time for agriculture. Ag groups are one right after another, constantly uh, trying to get their message across to these new leaders and policy decision makers that what is being done in agriculture is part of the solution and not part of the problem because there's always a concern that agriculture is going to be blamed for a lot of the environmental issues that are trying to be addressed right now, and that agriculture won't get the credit for what accomplishments have been made, are being made, will continue to be made. And the other part of this is these accomplishments are being made through voluntary efforts in many cases, and because it comes down to you got to convince these government officials that what you're doing is working so they don't come back at you with mandatory uh regulatory burdens that'll make it harder for agriculture so that's why i call this show and tell time Uh, ag groups going into these officials showing them telling them here hey here's what we are doing here's how we are uh helping to clean the air here are the practices we're using that will help these environmental issues that you are uh addressing and uh It's obvious that this is the way this administration is going to go. And in fact, uh, President Biden plans to take aggressive action, we're told, to uh, deal with climate change. And he is uh, signing an order uh, on this to address these issues. And part of this will be in this order uh, will be to direct the Secretary of Agriculture, which we expect eventually will be Tom Vilsack whenever that confirmation process takes place. But the order will direct the Secretary of Agriculture to collect input from farmers, ranchers, and other stakeholders on how to use federal programs to encourage adoption of climate-smart agricultural practices that produce verifiable carbon reductions and sequestrations and create new sources of income and jobs for rural Americans. Well, uh, agriculture has a good story to tell in this, and that's why they are, uh, you know, they have been and will continue and try probably redoubling their efforts now because of all the new people in Washington, D.C., to tell that story and to make their case. And I think especially in the case of biofuels, uh, that's a a strong message, and this latest study will be part of that message to uh, the administration and to Congress. All right, we're joined now by Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Steve, good to talk with you. Your your thoughts on the uh, on the the pork picture, the outlook. You got higher feed costs now. What are producers looking at here in 2021?
9: Well, it depends on which day you look at the futures market. I think actually, you know, we got a big help last week on the feed cost thing, but it's come back pretty strong and. Uh, Our our profit models still have pretty marginal profits for the best 25% of the producers and losses for the average producer for 2021 uh, based on futures markets as of yesterday. Um, You know, that number, it got down to uh, like uh, $1.70 for the best 25%. It went back up to $10.00 on Monday with the rally on lean hogs and the and the reduction on corn and soybean futures and it's come back to about 3 bucks so we think the average producer uh, would be somewhere in the minus seven range. So it's not a good outlook for this year because of feed costs. I mean, you've taken mm-hmm. costs of production for the average producer up near 80 bucks on a carcass weight basis. And uh, that's that's the reason that the economic outlook for this year is not very good. We're seeing a big rally in, in lean hog futures and uh, offering us some great pricing opportunities, I think. But uh, still, the, the feed cost thing, if you didn't manage some costs on corn and bean meal back in December or earlier, uh, you know, you're facing a pretty tough situation now from costs on the cost side.
0: Yeah, perhaps, hopefully they locked in some prices that will help them for a while anyway. Uh, what are How's things looking at the packing plants? How, how are we doing on capacity there?
9: Uh, we're doing great. I mean, uh, the plants are operating. We still have a few plants that aren't back to where they're, they're pre-COVID levels, but as an industry uh we're pretty well we're we're clipping right along we had the the largest slaughter on record the first full week of this year 2.849 million at the largest pork production that week thanks to some pretty heavy hogs as well and we're still uh, we're going to be in the 26s this week but i the forecast uh, according to Dave Delaney on our staff is for a 273 or so next week so uh the plants are slaughtering the pigs uh you know we had some pigs backed up over the holidays because of our friday holidays this year and uh, i still think we're kind of working through those based on what hog weights are right now but the plants are are are, are clipping pretty good we have had no real problems with coronavirus. Uh, the biggest problem we've had is some weather issues in some cases, as we did yesterday and this morning in some of the Midwest.
0: All right, Steve, thanks for the overview. Appreciate your time. Thank you. You bet, Mike. Thanks. Bye. Take, take care. Steve Meyer, economist with Partners for Production Agriculture. And With that, we'll wrap it up. Busy show today. Coming up tomorrow... The U.S.-Japan trade deal is working, and in the case of beef exports, working so well, now the concern is we'll hit a safeguard trigger level that would uh, kick in some tariffs to protect that uh, Japanese domestic market. Would that slow things down for us? We'll talk about that and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.